junior church slide for little ones today, if I'm not mistaken. <clears throat> and uh, just to let you know that, that's not up there, but just to uh, say that to the families. Um, we are starting a new series called Meant for Good. And uh, you heard that scripture, right? In particularly, you know, we're not having the time to read uh, through all of Genesis there or all of Genesis 50. But we're looking particularly at that, those two verses today, 18 to 20. But as Pastor Mike said, in the context of the book of Genesis and Joseph's life. And so I encourage you to, you know, read, start reading at chapter 37 in Genesis over these weeks together. And get familiar with the story of Joseph, especially for those who have forgotten it or those who don't remember or never heard the story of Joseph. Because we're going to spend this journey together over the next while in this sermon series called Meant for Good. Haven't been able to see this movie, but it interested me because of the story that we have seen and heard often about Patrick. Many refer to him as St. Patrick. But Patrick, I don't think everyone knows that story, was not Irish, by the way. Patrick was kidnapped by pirates and taken from his British homeland to Ireland at the age of 16. Now think of some of our ones that are 16 or close to 16. At 16, they took him and sold him into slavery. And he worked in the fields in Ireland as a shepherd for six years under terribly harsh conditions until God miraculously provided a way for him to escape and to flee back home to Britain. It was during those lonely years of enslavement, though, while he faced hunger, freezing temperatures, and pain, that he met God and found a deep closeness with God. He felt the presence of God in the situation he was going through and through prayer. Who would have ever dreamed of how God would turn around this tragedy for something good? After months back at home in Britain, recuperating and getting his strength back and seeking direction for his future plans, Patrick felt strongly led, surprisingly, by God to go back to Ireland, the very place where he was enslaved. He was burdened to share Christ with a lost nation. At that point, you need to understand that Ireland was fully pagan. <coughs> History tells us that when he went back, thousands were saved. Revival broke out among this pagan people. Lives were changed and many came to know Christ as Lord and Savior. And the rest, my friends, is history. As we will see today, both the lives of Patrick, or St. Patrick as some call him, and Joseph in the Bible remind us of this truth. Sold into slavery, held captive and imprisoned, yet set free for the saving of many lives. Meant for good. Have you ever opened up the back of the book? <laughs> Have you ever opened up the back of the book to see how the story ends? Now, not everybody's that way. Some people are. Sometimes, you know, you can gain a better insight about the story as you read it when you know the end. Right? You read the end of the book. And you work your way backwards or you work your way through the book and now you know how it's going to end. Well, that's exactly what we're going to do through the 
the sermon series because we're starting today at the end. We're starting with this reality in Joseph's story that we come to this place and we realize that God meant it for good. In particular, we're looking at that verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people would be kept alive and they are today. We love a good story. We love a good story, especially about a hero. See, I struggle watching some of these movies today that don't follow that proper line, that leave you hanging at the end, and there's no hero. I, I struggle with that because ever since I was a child, and you probably too, there's always a hero in the story. There's always an overcomer at the end. Right? And, and we love that story of the underdog, right? Turning around, or anyone that loves the great sports movies, the great sports movies always end with the team that was the underdog, they begin to win. We love those kind of stories. And so we think in this story that Joseph is a hero, and we've been taught that in Sunday school, and in many ways, <clears throat> Joseph is a hero. But my friends, the true hero in the book of Genesis is God. And the truth of it is, the true hero all throughout, as Pastor Mike read from Revelation, the end of this story, but it's not truly the end, it'll only be the beginning, that we realize that the person who is the hero of this book is God himself, and how he has meant it for good for us. This story is more than just a narrative of Joseph's life in Genesis that Jack Joseph moves from the deep pit to the palace. I've preached that before. But this story is really how God works and moves through Joseph's life to bring about a promise established generations before. We will see today the sovereignty of God on display over his creation. So when we talk about sovereignty, it tells us that what is sovereignty? Well, sovereign, it, it talks about uh, God is in control. Just like a king or a person who rules is in control. Christianity affirms that the universe is not left to its own. It's not chaotic. But it is controlled by a loving and caring God. A God who has control and power and authority. And on Saturday nights we pray that Canadians' eyes would be open to see that he does have dominion from sea to sea. God provides and cares for his creation and his people meant for good. This is a biblical concept. A sovereign is a ruler, a king. An description, uh, scripture often refers to God as the one who rules over all. The name, proper name given to God is Yahweh, and we see it translated most times in our Bibles as Lord. Over 7,000 times the word Lord is used in here. It actually means God's sovereignty. And especially for our Lord, Jesus Christ, we pray, Lord, Savior. Our Lord Jesus Christ, what we're saying every time we pray that, or we sing, He is Lord, He is Lord, we are saying and pronouncing the fact that God is sovereign, that God is King, that our Lord reigns, and He's in control. 
But we also have to realize there's two sides of the coin. See, in, in, in one side of that coin, I'm acknowledging that God is powerful, all-powerful, that God is in control, that God is sovereign. But on the other side of that coin, we need to realize that we have choice. We have freedom to make choices. And unfortunately, others around us have freedom to make choices too. That there are consequences to people's choices. God is sovereign over the human will, but are we responsible? Yes, we are. Our choices matter. So much so that our choice for God or against God will matter. And it will matter for eternity. We are moral agents before God. We use that term to say, one day we're going to have to give account. All of us. One day, we will come before God and give account. One day, there will be a judgment. How can we say that if, if, if we don't have free choice? How could God judge us if we are not free moral agents? And so on one hand, there's this mystery of the faith that we don't comprehend and fully understand, but we know it to be true, that God is sovereign, and God is in control, and God is all-powerful, but yet we live in a world where we are free to make choices. Joseph said to his brothers, you meant evil against me. Now, his brothers had free choice, didn't they? And they chose wrong choices, as we see all throughout God's Word, and as we see all throughout life. We have seen the difficult life Joseph had as a child. We have witnessed the hatred and cruelty of his brothers. We'll look at that in weeks to come. We have seen him working as a slave. We have seen him falsely accused. Have you ever been falsely accused? We have seen him imprisoned. We have seen him abandoned and forgotten in prison. See, I want us to truthfully look at this. Nothing in Joseph's story glosses over the presence of evil. Nothing. It shows us the real, raw facts. Blood stains, tear stains are everywhere. Joseph's heart was rubbed raw against the rocks of disloyalty and miscarried justice. And my friends, we've said this many times and we don't like to hear it. Life is not fair. It's not. What families are going through right now is not fair. This should never happen. People shouldn't be going through it. Evil, my friends, is real. And sometimes consequences of people's wrong choices the innocent pay the price. And so, Joseph is going around and saying, you meant it for evil against me. But he says, God meant it for good. So what was good after all that Joseph had experienced? He had experienced so much pain and suffering and, and betraying, and lies, and even as Pastor Mike alluded, they, they come before him in the beginning of chapter 50, and almost allude that the Father said this to them before they come to Joseph. And nowhere in Scripture does it say that the Father said that. They're lying again! 
even as they come before him. Well, we saw Joseph taken out of that prison and elevated to a position of prestige, power, and prominence in Egypt. We watched as Joseph was reunited with his brothers. We saw God use him to bring his brothers to a place of repentance, as we see in this passage. We saw him reunited with his father after being estranged and his father being lied to. And we see that God had taken Joseph in order to save his whole family. Just, you can preach that. Cool. That God wants to use us to save our whole families. Have you ever got a hold of that? And from this family would come the wonderful nation that right now, my friends, is going or under war. But it was from this family, it was from this moment, it was from this meaning of good in one man's life, Joseph, that today there is the nation of Israel. See, Joseph is making a big claim here about God, isn't he? Joseph knew God's heart. He tells his brothers, even though you sold me into slavery and intended to do great evil upon me, God brought great good out of it, despite you, <laughs> despite all that you did. Now I can save all of you and bring you into Egypt and you will be saved from the famine and we can live in peace as a restored family. God meant it for good. My friends, this is a hard thing to get through to all of us. That this is the belief that no matter what evil or tragedy or terrible thing happens, God can always make something good come out of this. Even if we will let him, only if we will let him work through us. God can redeem any situation. And we need to wait. And we need to pray. And we need to find it. Now, my friends, I do know there are some situations that we will never know until we're over there. Sometimes there are certain things in life that are just unexplainable. I am not trying to say, oh, just hold on and be good, good, and everything will fall into place for you. Because I know of people who have not had those answers, but they have a great faith in God. That whether it's in this world or the next, God is going to work it together for good. And so that is what faith is, isn't it? We talked about that. Faith is putting my trust in God. God will turn it around for good. Someday, someday he will. You know, I think about Joseph. If Joseph had thrown in the towel, if Joseph had given up on God, if Joseph had said this is not worth it, where would his family have been in this moment? But it's because one remained faithful that a whole family is saved and a nation is born. This is the belief that no matter what evil or terrible comes, God can turn it around for good. My friends, I wrote this this week, but I can see it happening this weekend. Life's curveballs come from a variety of sources, and they come, come at us when we least expect it. And I want to tell you today another word that people don't like to hear, but Jesus already tried to prepare his children, and even his disciples that didn't get it before the cross, they didn't understand. He said, in this world, if you're my follower, 
you're going to have trouble. We know that it falls on the good and the bad, as the psalmist says. There's no way, because I'm a follower of Christ, that somehow hurt and loss and brokenness and lies and people betraying me never comes knocking at my door because I'm in Christ. That, that is the lie of the enemy to try to tell the church to get you discouraged so that when trouble comes knocking, somehow you think that you're outside of God's will. Jesus was trying to prepare us that there are times when trouble may come knocking at our door as well. The word that Jesus actually uses here is pressure. Pressures. Are you feeling pressure right now? Facing troubles? You know, people's hard drives will crash and vehicles will fail. Many will get sick. Bank accounts will dry up. Businesses will close. Ones you love will turn their backs on you. Dare I say, even dear loved ones will pass away. Some people, though, conclude that, well, God caused that problem. It's God's fault. God has caused it. I remember, you know, somebody said one time, well, I lost my job, so God's trying to teach me a lesson, so I'll I'll appreciate more what my daily bread. Sometimes somebody lost a job because they didn't do the work they were supposed to do. Don't blame God for it. Now, some people just lose a job. It's just the common. I had someone one time tell me that God caused her divorce. Because through the divorce, she got closer to God. So God caused her divorce. God doesn't cause divorces. God wants to bless marriages and bless people's unions. He doesn't want to cause divorce. But divorce happens. You see, we have to be careful how easily people, because of what they're going through, want to blame God. That God is at fault. It's God's fault. Why did God do this? See, my friends, today there's a big difference between saying God causes everything that happens to us and there's choice in there. There's a big difference from that and saying, no matter how badly things get, no matter how badly I mess up, no matter how badly people have hurt me, God can bring some good out of it. Big difference. Paul said it this way, and you know this verse, and we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, we've said many times, when we look at the book of Romans in this great chapter 8, all things great come from chapter Romans chapter 8, that, that when we look at this, God is not saying to you that the loss of a loved one or a tragedy or whatever you're going through that's terrible is good. God helped the churches, that's what we've told people. But with tears in our eyes, we can walk alongside of people and say, no matter what you're going through today, I believe this verse to be true. And maybe the good is God will just become so present to you and so real in the midst of your suffering and pain. God never puts a stamp of approval on evil and sin and brokenness. 
It was wrong for Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery and to lie to their father that he was dead. But as Joseph looks back on his life, he sees now it was no accident that he was where he was. Even in the midst of all that was going on in his life, God used it for good. And so Joseph released his past, remembered God's providence, and rested on God's promises. Some of us today need to release our past. Some of us can still show you the wounds on our psyche, on our hearts, on our minds because of the past. Maybe the past was last week or this summer, or maybe it was 20 years ago. Who knows? But some of us need to release our past today. At the end of Genesis, after Jacob's death, Joseph's brothers begged him to forgive them because now they're terrified for their lives. As Pastor Mike read, they're thinking now we're doomed for sure. Dad is gone and he's going to now want revenge. He is the man in all of, G, uh, all of uh, Egypt next to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's right hand man. He had to just speak a word and they would be all dead. Their families, their children, gone. And so as they remember too the terrible things that they had done years ago, the cover-up of his disappearance, the lie of his death, the selling him off into slavery. They're sure that, G that Joseph is going to seek revenge. I love, you know, we hear that short verse in the Gospels at Lazarus' tomb, don't we, that Jesus wept. Notice here, verse 17, it says that Joseph wept. We know when he realized his brothers had come to him earlier in the story, he was weeping in the back, and he had to hide that before he could come out before them. But this is a place here where it's a different kind of weeping. It's not a weeping, a joy, joyful weeping, as that weeping was earlier in the story. This is where he's heartbroken, because he realizes that his brothers don't believe his forgiveness. That it is possible to truly forgive them for what they have done to him. And so he says to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Verse 19. It was never in Joseph's heart to hold all of the past over the heads of his brothers. So he assures them that he would take care of them and take care of their families. He refused revenge because Joseph saw a greater plan in place. Some of us today need to release our past because we need to release that God and realize that God has got a greater plan for us. That we're not going to stoop down to the evil and the malicious things that people have done to us. With God's help, we're going to rise up and take a high road and won't go there. We too need to release our past. He remembered God's providence. See, providence, what is that? Well, that is, comes from that word provide. He, he began to realize that God said that he would provide for his people. And in every situation, as difficult as it was in Joseph's life, God always provided for him and blessed him even in a home where he was slave, even in prison, God bless him. Like, we can't wrap our minds around that. God cares for his own. We say often that he is a good, good father. 
He is a Father who cares for us. You know, do you believe today that, that your life is... I, I had this vision this week that your, my life was going all over the place. I could point. You know, somebody says it's sometimes good to map out your life. You know, you get... I don't know if you've ever done this, but you can actually get a big piece of crystal board and you draw a line, which is your life, and then you take post-it notes and you begin to talk about all those life moments, the good and the bad, the good up top, the bad down below. And you know, you begin to see your life and you begin to see your life of faith. But what you do see, that my life was like this. And in the midst of that was all God's plan. God has a plan for us, a purpose, and his plan is to bring us home. Amen. His plan is that I just don't know his presence by his spirit, but on one day I will see him, and I will be with him, and I will see him face to face. That's his ultimate plan for all of us. No matter what my life does, God can get us back on his plan. And so he's given his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit tries to steer us and move us and help us to make wise decisions and motivate us to follow his will. He gives us the power to say no when somebody comes knocking and say, hey, you want to try this? Don't you want to do this? The Holy Spirit will say, as much as we've seen in God's word, don't go there. Don't do it. And yet he'll do it. And yet God's plan can still be there for us even when we mess up. Joseph does not pretend what his brothers did to him was not evil. In spite of what they were doing, God was doing something wonderful with Joseph's life. My friends, God's providence tells us that no matter what you're going through in life, God can and will provide. He is a good, good father. And he rested on God's promises. See, while Joseph's story starts in Genesis chapter 37, what you really need to do is realize the story started generations before that in Genesis chapter 12, where God meets Abraham, later known to us as Abraham, and he begins to move into covenant relationship with Abraham. And he makes a promise to Abraham. And do you realize today that Joseph is the great grandson to Abraham, the one with whom God had made an unconditional promise to provide his descendants a land, a nation, and a blessing. And after a long, productive, and happy life, Joseph shows us something here in chapter 50 of Genesis. Actually, go back even to Genesis 46. He says to them, he made the children of Israel promise to take his bones with them. What's that say? Joseph was so convinced on the promise that was given to his great-grandfather, Abraham, that there was coming a day when he was moving into where the whole nation was going to move into the land of promised land of milk and honey that God had for them. That he was willing to say, don't you leave my bones in Egypt. You take my bones with you. Because that's the promise I have. Promise of a better place. 
of a better land. My prayers today, isn't that our promise? Isn't that our assurance as believers? There's a better place. Our Lord said he's gone to prepare a better place for us. And one day he will return for us to take us there. Whether he comes before we face death or not, we stand on that promise that God has a better place. And like Joseph said, don't you leave my bones behind in this foreign land. We need to, even at death's door, hold on to the promises of God. That yet I die, I too shall live. There's a better day and a better place coming. The second Corinthians has told us. So whether I go, someone said, by the clouds or the clouds. Did you get that? Whether I go by the way of the clouds of dirt or the clouds, I am a winner. Either way, I can go to my grave with that promise of God. And you know, I've seen it. I've seen it time and time again in people's deathbeds. The ones who are holding on to that promise as they give their last breath. And so today, as we bring this to a close, if you find yourself in a difficult season right now, in a difficult moment, some, like I said, sometimes it's a season. Sometimes it's not just a moment or a day or a week. It seems like a season of difficulty. I want you to find encouragement today with this reminder that God will turn it around. We believe in our faith that God is the God of the turnaround. That he will take it and work it together for his good. But we must wait upon him. We must continue to be faithful. We cannot give up our faith. A whole generation depends upon our faithfulness. That's heavy. But God is able. The enemy is roaring around trying to get people to give up on their faith. Trying to get people to compromise. Because he knows he can wipe out a whole family if he does. And a generation that is yet unborn won't get the opportunity to praise the Lord. My friends, the fact that you get up on a Sunday and you say, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And you come and you gather. And as you gather to study His Word, and as you gather to pray, that faithfulness is what the Lord looks on for generations to come. Because if we give up and give in, what hope do they have? Don't be surprised at the troubles. Don't be surprised at the attack to try to take you off that plan and purpose that God has for your life. He would want you to compromise. Throw in the towel. Oh, I'll just give in a little here and I'll give in a little there to the point where you've got nothing to offer anyone. And so remain firm and strong in the Lord because God will turn it around for good. The story of Joseph, it's like the story we read in the Bible over and over again, describing how God can bring deliverance in the midst of human suffering. And my friends, we celebrated it today, that the greatest story to illustrate this truth is the cross of Christ. The story of Jesus himself, hated, 
envied, resented, betrayed, and rejected, God used the suffering of our Lord and Savior and His death to bring about what? To bring about our rescue. To rescue all of humanity from death and sin. A rescue that won't just last for a season or one generation, but that will last forever. And what Satan has meant for evil, God has been able to turn it around for good. We polish our crosses now. We bear them around our necks. That which was a symbol of shame and disgrace becomes now our glory as the church. Greatest symbol of turnaround, my friends. But ask the worship team to come. When Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, the word he used, interesting in the original Hebrew text, is the word weave. I've had the opportunity a few places, Victoria by the Sea, there's a beautiful weaver there, and you can go in and see their weaving. I actually at one point brought our daughter a scarf from there as a gift, this beautiful weaving that is there, and I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to watch somebody weave in a shuttle, and as they do it back and forth. But the word that Joseph is using here, Moses would, if we believe, had written, is this word weave. And so he says, they wove it for evil. But God rewove it for good. They wove it for evil, but God rewove it for good. And so God, my friends, today, as I bring this to a close, is the master weaver. He stretches the yarn and intertwines the colors, the red twine with the velvet strings, the pains with the pleasures. Nothing escapes his reach. Every king, every nation, every weather pattern, and molecule are at his command. He passes the shuttle back and forth across the generations, and as he does, a design emerges. Satan weaves evil, but praise God today. God reweaves good. I heard this poem many years ago, and it's always meant a lot to me, called The Divine Weaver. My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colors. He weaveth steadily. Oftentimes he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride. Forgetteth he seeth the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly, shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned.